Welcome to the Finance Cafe, the business podcast for women entrepreneurs that breaks through the money taboo and explores what's behind the numbers. Join your hosts, founders of the Finance Cafe, Shannon Peston and Shauna Frederick, every week as they dive into conversations about business and finance with women entrepreneurs and the experts that support them. With their combined experience in finance and accounting, Shannon and Shauna know financial management is more than numbers, but rather the combination of our lived experience, skills, attitudes, and behaviors, and how these come together to shape the financial decisions we make along our entrepreneurial journeys. It's about uncovering the story of our business, being empowered by our decisions, and unlocking our full potential as entrepreneurs. Here at the Finance Cafe, we're changing the way we talk about finance and empowering women entrepreneurs to see their business in a new light. One story and one number at a time. Hello everyone and welcome to the Finance Cafe. I'm so excited today to sit down with Patrice Mousseau, who is a conscious entrepreneur and the owner and creator of Satya Organic Skincare, a skincare company that delivers NPN approved USDA certified organic products to serve those with sensitive skin conditions. Patrice, I got to meet you uh, last year, last December on a panel, um, and we were talking about being an Indigenous entrepreneur, and I fell in love with your story, and I've been following you for a number of years, and uh, I couldn't I could be more excited just to have this time with you, so thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I mean, honestly, I'm so excited about what you're doing because I feel like it's so important right now for, for us as women because none of us were really taught from like, I don't even remember being taught how to fill out a check. So, I mean, (laughs) this is hugely important for all of us. So thank you for doing it. Well, thank you. And I remember a time too, I didn't think I'd pay back credit cards. So (laughs) we all, (laughs) I want to start by talking about your story and you throughout my journey as a former banker and somebody that works with entrepreneurs uh, still as a strategist, I've met so many women who would call themselves accidental entrepreneurs. They never expected that they would find themselves owning a business, running a business and kind of you're in a bit of that story as well. I mean, did you ever think that you were going to become this globally recognized entrepreneur? Never. Absolutely not. I mean, I never saw myself as the type of person who would ever run their own business. Also because like the connotations that I had around business were always pretty negative and, you know, against what my personal beliefs were. I mean, we've all been, you see, you see the way that business is portrayed in, in media, television, movies, and it's always about profit and ex and, you know, extractive wealth and all these sorts of things, all the things that I do not agree with. And so I would never even have considered it. Um, But the reality is, you know, I created something for my daughter, then ended up helping her. And then I wanted to continue to help others. You know, I did that for about a year or so, not really making it a business, just covering my costs. And then I end up seeing other women out there who were creating businesses that were not only uh, successful and, you know, making profit, but they were also being a force for social good. Um, They were doing it in a way that I could get behind with my values. And I thought, oh, you know, this is what business could be. This is what business should be. Well, I love that you really touched on the values because also a lot of women I talk to will often say that entrepreneurship didn't fit with what, you know, they believed it was a very individual experience versus saying on the collective. And we are going to talk a little bit more about that um, later on in the conversation. But I want to start right now by saying, what was the inspiration for you behind Satcha? 
Um, tell, tell me a little story about Esme. Yes. So my background's actually in broadcast journalism. I'm a, I've been a, you know, a news anchor, a talk show host for many, many years. Uh, had a baby. Baby developed eczema. The doctor wanted her to put her on steroids, which is not something that I was willing to do. So I used my research skills, um, you know, did proper research and basically took all that information and put it in my crock pot in my kitchen and made a balm that uh, cleared her eczema up in two days. But then wow. um, I had a whole crock pot left over. Wow. So that's why I started sharing it with others. I said, does anybody need any of this? And of course, at that period of time, I didn't realize that 20% of the world's population suffered from eczema. So then I had to make like three more crock pots immediately. And that's basically what I, you know, I was doing, just giving it to people through like my kitchen window. <laughs> you know, like people, were people were literally driving three, you know, towns away to come and, and get some of this because they'd heard from their friends that it worked so well. And I did that just for other people for about a year. And then I went to SVI, which is the Social Venture Institute uh, for Women here in Vancouver, which is a conference. And like I said, I saw all these other entrepreneurs doing great things. And I literally walked in with a, you know, a little container that I had handwritten my ingredients on a piece of construction paper and like glued it <laughs> like that's, and I, I went up there and I'm just, you know, having the opportunity to talk to, you know, the heads of like Nature's Path, which is another great female-led uh, company and the people at Isle and, you know, Skipper Autos, like it was a really great experience. So that's, that's basically how I started, um, got inspired and did my first farmer's market in Port Moody. I want to talk to you about the, the name of your company and I will talk about mentorship and community because I know you are such a community-minded uh, entrepreneur and just the community that has been around you too, through your journey. And we'll talk about that as well. But when we go back to the company and thinking about your values, the naming was very intentional of your company. I want to talk about how you decided on the name um, and what it means to you and to the company. So originally I was actually going to choose something in my language, uh, Anishinaabemowin, um, I'm Ojibwe. I was Googling around one day, different name, naming ideas. And I came across this word, uh, Satya. And our, people now just pronounce it Satya for my company, but it's originally it's Satya. And what it means is a higher truth. So like not just telling the truth, being honest kind of thing, but what is the truth in life? And the truth in life to me was, you know, being a role model for my little girl, staying true to my values, trying to bring good into the world as best I can. And because those are honestly, those are the things that end up making you truly happy. So whenever I had to make a choice or a decision inside of the company, it made decision-making a lot easier because I just said, what's the best, highest choice? Not necessarily what's the most economically rational choice, <laughs> but like when it comes to packaging, for example, when it comes to the ingredients we use or you know, how we treat people, our, our employees, what's the right thing to do? And that's how we operate in the world. Well, there are so many things that we love about what you're doing and your commitment to people to, you know, you've got the people, profit, planet, you know, idea down pat. And in what ways would you say that you're working on the world's to-do list? I know that that's um, a really important part of, of your business. And, you know, I know that you, you really support uh, single moms as well. So there's sustainability in your company. I don't want to lead you to the answer, but in in what, in what ways are you working on the world's to-do list? I mean, I'm a single mom. And so obviously that's, you know, something that I've lived in and dealt with. A lot of the people that we hire are also um, stay-at-home moms or caregivers. Um, a lot of people 
they don't have the opportunity to do the standard nine to five because they have either children or elderly parents that they have to take care of. So we provide uh, a way for people to be paid a living wage, not just minimum wage, a living wage. Which is hard to do in Vancouver. It's yeah, it's not, it's not easy. You know, they work on their own time. Uh, They get work done and they're so, everybody is so efficient. Like my team is amazing. Um, our packaging, very important to us. Everything that we have is, you know, like glass or aluminum or stainless steel, highly recyclable. We also do compostable refills. Um, so people, once you buy it once, you can just buy the refill pouch and refill your stick, which is really, it's a really cool uh, way to actually get your product now. So we have these, like, um, it's like a twist up stick that you can just roll directly onto your body. And we tried a variety of materials for the packaging, but the only thing that really worked was um, plastic. So I said, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll make it a really high quality plastic that you can keep forever and then just keep refilling. And then in addition to that, because we are producing plastic, we're in partnership with a company called the Plastic Bank. And uh, what they do is they, they have these centers all over the world. And so whenever somebody buys one of my sticks, we're paying someone in a developing country to go to their local waterway and pull the plastic out. Then they take that plastic to their local depot for recycling and they exchange it for credits for medical care, educational tuition or household items. Mm -hmm. And then that plastic is then recycled, like almost all of it's recycled using this unique process and then sold to large multinationals like Procter & Gamble and Henkel at a premium for what's called social plastic. So it goes back into the system again versus going back out into the ocean. And it's also addressing poverty and creating entrepreneurship. So that was something we're always evolving to like, we're not like, Oh, okay, we're done. It's just, we figured that out. No, we, there's always innovations coming. There's always new ways to do better. One of the things that I love about you is, is how you brought your, your research skills. So you're really leveraging your experience as a reporter and a journalist and, and being able to dive deep in things. I'm curious to know how did your past role? So you, as a journalist, how else has it, has it served you in what you're doing now? I'm pretty comfortable doing things like this, which is great. It makes it easier for me to tell our story um, and talk about the product and talk about myself. And also um, in certain ways, it helps deal with a fear of failure because when when I when I was on air I was never afraid of making mistake on air because when you make mistakes people see you as human yes and it gives you that opportunity to connect with people so I'm I'm very open when I when I screw up because I screw up all the time um, and we all do and this idea that we're perfect is like or have to be perfect in order to succeed or that your product has to be perfect before you launch it or that even that you're doing all the work. I mean, this idea of the self-made man is absolutely ridiculous. Like, do you really think that any of these like titans of industry are actually out there filling boxes and, and doing any kind of like, you know, administrative finance work? Absolutely not. You have teams and teams of people that are together making this all happen happen and be successful. It's community. You have to have your team and you have to have your community around you in order to be successful. What about new skills? What have you learned as an entrepreneur that you might not have thought you'd ever learn? It definitely ran my confidence around my abilities with 
finance, accounting, bookkeeping, like just basic math. Like I can tell you that um, when I was in school, I used to flip numbers. I was like a numeric dyslexic, basically, mm-hmm. um, especially when I was tired or stressed, which is the life of an entrepreneur is to constantly be stressed. I never thought that I would, it would ever be anything that I ever was good at. And I'm still not great at it. I have a great team who helps me. But the reality is, is that I do have the capacity to expand my skill set and become better at this stuff. And a lot of it, interesting, like I said, I'm not great at math, but I am pretty good at language. So I am learning the language of what all these things mean, like cap table and accrual accounting and, you know, like all those things. So I don't think anybody should limit themselves and think, oh, I'll never be good at that. Or I'll never, you know, don't, don't limit yourself because the reality is, is there's always a way to find out how to be good at it. I love that you talked about the numbers and I'll even like share a personal story too. I remember growing up and we had guidance counselors in our school and the guidance counselor telling me I was terrible at math. And so I, I learned to really fear numbers. And even when I went into business uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to touch the accounting. I don't want to do the finance. Like, I had such anxiety around that. But mm-hmm. it's interesting when you start, and I, and I do believe that every entrepreneur, what makes you successful is having that, that underlying financial knowledge to give you the confidence that you're making the right decisions for your company. You just can't have that without an understanding of the numbers. And it can, it can be taught. And when you start looking at numbers as a story, to say, you know, am I holding too much inventory? Your numbers are going to tell you that. Is it time for me to hire another person? Your number will tell you that. Can you grow into another space? All of your numbers, it's it's like uncovering, like you're an investigator in your own company when you start to appreciate how the numbers, how the numbers work. But I do love mm-hmm. that you talked about the that you also had challenges with math because I think for a lot of women, that's not an uncommon, it's not an uncommon story that I hear in my work. Um, but also as part of the reason we're doing the finance cafe as well is to change that narrative. So you started in a crock pot in your kitchen to around the world. But I want to know when was the moment that you knew you had a business in front of you? Well, I think it was probably when Whole Foods reached out and they wanted to carry my product. And at that time I was still in my crock pot in my kitchen. I said to them, that is awesome. I would definitely love to be in Whole Foods, but um, please like, give me some time. I want to scale up. I need to scale up. So I'm not, you know, cause I was, I was putting my daughter to bed at night and then I would get up and make product and that was not sustainable. So they, they were fine. They were like, absolutely. I got a distributor, you know, got a co-packer, someone who could actually make my product in the lab and giant vats. I said, okay, we're ready to go. And we went from the 70 stores that I was in in the lower mainland, which was through a lot of like word of mouth to 400 stores in two months. Wow. Um, and so I was like, okay, like I knew that it was needed. I knew that so many people out there were looking for real, you know, scientifically proven, effective, but also natural and simple and safe solution. Um, Cause that's what I was looking for for my daughter. And there just wasn't anything on the shelf like that. I mean, I knew in my, in my gut and in my heart, but yeah, just so many people, you know, need this kind of product and it's not just for eczema, right? Like Mm. they use it for everything from psoriasis and rosacea to just general itching and dry skin. Like during COVID, for example, we had a lot of frontline workers using our products because of course they're washing their hands like crazy. And uh, I always remember the, the nurse that sent me the email that, you know, she was literally crazy gluing her hands together, like the cracks in her 
hands together uh, before a shift so that she wouldn't bleed on wow. patients. Um, but since she started using Satya, not only did her hands go back to normal, but her fingerprints started to grow back. So she could start using like the biometrics um, in the hospital that she needed to. It can be really impactful, not just physically too. Like there's so many emotional aspects to having skin issues that people just, unless you, unless you've lived it, you don't, you don't understand it. You don't know it. Um, in fact, yesterday I was reading that today is um, on t- um, October is eczema month and uh, people who have eczema uh, and skin issues have a much higher rate of suicide. So it's a, it's a big problem. It's interesting you say that. I was just talking to a girlfriend of mine a couple of nights ago and talking about this podcast and uh, you, you know this uh, friend of mine, but um, and she's a huge supporter of your products as well. And uh, her, her nine-year-old daughter has got uh, really patchy um arms and you know at nine years old she was just you know getting dressed for bed and she said I hate my body and I mean that's that's where it's you know it starts she sees an imperfection in herself and so when you talk about like these types of skin conditions they can be uh, it's because it's so visible we wear it and uh it's you know it's things that you can't you know you can't hide and and uh so I, mm-hmm. I love I love what you're doing for women who are maybe like you maybe they're in their kitchen right now with their crock pot in hand what mm-hmm advice would you share with them around how you've started and grown and believed in the business? Before I was doing this podcast with you, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that I shared, and I was thinking about some pieces of advice. uh, And one of them was, uh, you're probably going to need a bookkeeper, right? Find a bookkeeper who is in your area of expertise, like that has literally done, like I'm in what's called CPG, consumer uh, packaged goods. Find a bookkeeper who knows consumer packaged goods. Like they need to know that if you're in services, find a bookkeeper who knows services, because there's literally different ways to set up your business, depending on what industry you're in. It's not one size fits all. And I've had to now, as we've grown, I've had to pay so much money to go back and fix all of the problems from my original bookkeeper, who was amazing and a wonderful person. And, you know, all those great things that she was very smart, but she didn't have experience in what, you know, what I needed to to have experience in. So I would definitely say find someone who knows your industry. <laughs> and I'm going to say too, on a, a banker, the same thing. Uh, I've always encouraged people find a banker and ask them, what experience do you have in my industry? You know, whether it's retail, whether it's consumer packaged goods, whether it's restaurants, like find someone who knows the industry because they'll also know the ins and outs of how they can support you better. So yeah. I love that you just had that advice. Yes. And I, I was thinking, okay, well, but then how do you find them? Because you also, you know, end up with lovely people who aren't necessarily right fit for you. This is why mentors are so important. You know, you don't necessarily want to ask the people in your, you know, same level at that time, because they might go, Oh, I love my accountant. And I did, I loved her, but it wasn't the right fit for me. You need to talk to somebody who's in your industry, who's already gone through this and now has a larger company that can recommend um, a bookkeeper to you. That's what I would say, you know, definitely talk to get and talk to mentors about who they would recommend um, would be the best way to find a bookkeeper. And such great advice around the mentorship piece, because we also know for women entrepreneurs in particular, that access to social networks remains a barrier. We don't have the same professional networks. We don't, you know, we don't have a growing list of finance people at the tip of our uh, fingertips or accountants. And so asking other entrepreneurs is really important. And I also love what you said about making sure you find someone that's already, that's 
beyond the business that's going to help you grow into uh, into what you want because you are right. Sometimes you will have an accountant or a bookkeeper. You outgrow that that professional, and also you don't ever have to feel tied to these professionals as your business grows and your needs change. I think women have a huge sense of loyalty to the people that bring them along, but sometimes those relationships do need to change because you need something else in the business. Make the decision sooner than later, because honestly, the anxiety of hemming and hawing over it is going to be far worse than the actual doing of saying, of speaking your truth, setting your boundary and saying, you know, I just, it just not the right fit for me right now anymore. What were some of the critical steps that you took in your growth process? So as you were transitioning from the kitchen to farmer's markets, to online and into retails, like what were some of the the game-changing moments for you moving into a co-packer that was a huge step because and for people who don't know what a co-packer is yes so a co-packer is someone who will literally take you know under and ndas meaning non-disclosure agreements and everything's you know secret um, that they will take your formulation and make it for you at volume like a manufacturing facility they can do that for you um, so that's obviously a big jump. And especially when when you're first getting into that situation, you don't have what's called the economies of scale. Um, economies of scale means that the more you produce, the cheaper it is. Um, so when you're first starting, it's going to be expensive, yeah. especially. Yeah, you're do. just not efficient yet. Right. And that's difficult because not a lot of us have the financing to be able to make that jump. So that was, that was a big jump. Um, well, another huge barrier, right? The access to financial capital. And it's an area that um, we know women are underfunded in their companies. I saw a quote of yours that said it can be really intimidating going into a bank as an entrepreneur. Um, and you're a single mom at the time that you started and you didn't have a lot of collateral. So what was it like for you? I didn't, I didn't have any collateral. <laughs> Let me be very clear. Yeah. So it's very hard for, for women to get the financing that they need for sure. Um, I would leverage as much as I can for anybody out there listening for women's organizations, like uh, what's now the forum, which used to be forum for women entrepreneurs um, is an incredible organization. I actually, I think everybody on the planet should be a part of CEO. I don't think I would be where I am right now without them. Um, and just any grants that are out there, go and get them. Honestly, you deserve it and you should have it. And we need you in this marketplace. And so, yeah, do whatever you need to do to finance your company, however you however you can. I love that you brought up CEO. I think that's such an incredible organization and Vicky's absolutely changing. I like that radical generosity is, is radically changing business uh, mm -hmm. with every entrepreneur that we're supporting. I'm, I'm a proud activator of CEO. Um, as well. And it's been amazing to see the ventures come out of that yours and you know, yours included being in that community. So let's go back to financing because you've got a couple of different you've, you, you know, you mentioned grants, you've got a couple of different uh, ways that you have helped to finance your business. What, if, what lessons have you learned around how you fund your company? What were some of the big lessons? I would say that, you know, you have to be comfortable with insecurity. There is no assurance. You have to be comfortable with taking on debt. Sometimes I literally have to put blinders on and not look at all the reality of it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Because like when I think for me, you know, 10 years ago, talking about half a million dollars, a million dollars, multi, like that's so crazy. It's just something you, you just kind of have to be, um, there's just no security. You have to be okay with not being secure. Well, no. there's so many risks, right? As an entrepreneur, you take emotional risks, you take financial risks, you take so many risks that I think a lot of us underestimate and the financial mm -hmm. risk piece of it is a big one. But risk is life. 
And the reality is if you're being paid by someone, you're also in risk. So it's just easier to delude yourself that there is less risk having a, having a quote unquote job. Yeah, that that part is true. I mean, our jobs are never, are, they're never safe too. They could be taken out from us at any, at any point in time as well. But I do want to talk about Dragon's Den and um, I'm a huge Dragon's Den fan because it's good entertainment value uh, in my world. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I want to talk about your experience on Dragon's Den and what it was like to give up equity in the company at that time, what your ask was versus what, you, you know, kind of the deal that you ended up making. Um, so tell us a little bit about what that process was for you. So just to be clear, I didn't give up any equity in my company. And in fact, I didn't take the deal. When you're in Dragon's Den, so it's not business, it's entertainment. And I would not have any, I would never ever recommend to anybody to jump in a business deal, especially giving up equity of their company, because it's harder to get out of an equity deal than it is to get out of a marriage. Yes. Um, I would never get into that kind of a deal with someone that you've only met in the past hour. Mm -hmm. Like you, there's so much that you need to know about this person. Um, and not to say that the person who offered me a deal was not necessarily, I mean, I don't even know if he would be someone that I would generally want to get into a deal with, but the offers on Dragon's Den are so heavily skewed towards the dragons um, that most people would be crazy to take them anyway. So why, why, do the, why do I think you took the deal? Why do I think you took the deal? You take the deal on camera. On camera. Okay, got it. So this is another thing that I didn't know about how this works. So on, on camera, you take the deal, but then you go through like the due diligence part of it. And that's where you say, well, they could be that, but I didn't even, I didn't even need to go through the due diligence because I knew it wasn't a deal that I was going to take, but here's something else you don't know about Dragon's Den. I hope CBC is not going to be, <laughs> you're giving away well, all this. And I don't want to, I don't want to get anyone uh, in trouble right? either here. So we'll but it's only about 60% of the people who actually record for Dragon's Den make the show. So if you have made a deal with a dragon, they're more likely to advocate for you to be on the show, aren't they? Dragon's Den isn't really business. What it is, is a commercial. And so if you're ever thinking about doing Dragon's Den, that's what you're walking into. Keep in mind that you are there for to do marketing and nothing else. Really. So how did it change? I mean, did it enhance your brand? I know so reading some of the reviews online, I, I think somebody had actually from had heard about you from Dragon's Den and became a customer from one of your reviews. So did, did that change the brand substantially? I mean, not substantially. No, it was just bringing awareness to other people who didn't know that a product like that out there existed. Um, but I do have a funny story about it. So um, when I was on there and they, they can edit it however they want, right? So to tell, to make it seem more dramatic than it really was. Manjeet uh, was not a fan. She's like, I don't think this is going to work, blah, blah, blah. I did see that. And then she just reached out to us a couple months ago. And she's like, I actually really want to try this for myself and for my nieces. And so we sent her some uh, and she was like, you know, this is amazing. It works so well. And she posted about it on Instagram. So it was kind of funny. You know, there was like even Satya can, we, we say Satya can even uh, soothe or smooth the toughest dragon skin. So. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. great because I mean she was the hardest dragon on you from yeah, the edit. But that's, her, but that's her job, right? Like this is literally entertainment. She is there to create controversy and drama and conflict so that they can argue. So otherwise, it's just like, oh, this is a great product. Okay, like you know, like that's her job. Well, let's talk about naysayers for a moment because she was the naysayer on the show, and having her come around now to be an advocate uh, for the brand. I mean, what a great turnaround story. But 
I mean, as entrepreneurs, we, we hear a lot of no, we hear a lot of, you know, a lot of rejection. How, how do you, what's been your strategy to overcome the naysayers or to, to kill the noise or how, what do you do? Well, we've been very, very lucky with, with the product directly. We haven't actually had a lot of naysayers. We do uh, on, on occasion, there might be someone due to their body chemistry. It's not the right fit for them. You know, we, um, we offer a hundred percent money back guarantee. So no, no questions asked. We just immediately send them back their money um, when they order, they have to order from the website to get it immediately, but that's what we do for, for that. Um, but for myself personally, you know, when people say no, or that they don't think it's going to work, I just, yeah, I mean, don't take advice or criticism from someone you wouldn't want to be. Mm. So that's, uh, that's kind of powerful. And, you know, if they haven't been in your position, you just got to kind of believe in what you're doing. If you constantly are thinking about everybody else's opinion, you will never get anything done. And it will be a nightmare of trying to dance and make everybody happy. And you're not going to. And that's literally something that I need to remind myself all the time. Like it's a, it's not a one and done. These kinds of things are practices. Well, and there'll be naysers no matter what we do in life. And I can't remember who said this quote, but it's like 80% of people are going to love you. 20% of the people are never going to love you no matter what you do. So always just stay true to what you believe and, and stay authentic to, to yourself. What do you think has been the biggest lesson that you've, that you've taken as an entrepreneur? Absolutely. Community. You know, we talk a lot about self-care and this is something I'd actually heard from an elder was that what you really need is community care. What you really need is being able to reach out and talk to someone and share yourself, um, your failures, your triumphs, your questions, and just have somebody who's going to be in your corner. And so that's why it's so important for organizations like GEO uh, to exist that you can be a part of and just to talk to because, you know, you cannot talk to your partner or your mom or any anybody else unless they've actually gone through running a business. They don't know, they don't get it, and they won't understand. No, no matter how much they love you, no matter how smart they are, they just don't have the, the experience. So you really need to, to surround yourself with people who are going through the same thing that you are. Because that is, that's, that's how you're going to get to success is having that community around you. Well, and I love the, the notion of community care. And, you know, you mentioned something I think that's also really important, uh, particularly for Indigenous entrepreneurs, but our elders and the traditional knowledge and traditional ways of being. So how else do you bring in, say, traditional knowledge or cultural expression as an Indigenous woman entrepreneur? Well, I mean, all of my products are based on a traditional medicine, some of it not necessarily a North American traditional um, medicine, but literally anecdotal evidence that grandmas around the world have been making forever, um, but has also been backed by academic research and, the, and medical research as well. Just every facet of the company, we always try to think about how we're going to do better and how we give back to the community in that way. It's just a very important part of, of who we are. It's not about accumulating wealth into yourself. It's about how you share that around in your community to, to everyone that you come in contact with. All right. My, so my next question for you, two questions that I have for you uh, on more of a personal nature. So the first one that I want to ask you is how your confidence has changed as an entrepreneur. How has Patrice 
uh, come? How, how, how have you learned more about yourself? You know, every once in a while, I'm in a, a phone call or conversation with my lawyer and my CFO. And, you know, we're talking about very high level stuff. And when I'm able to understand it and engage in that conversation, every once in a while, I go, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> I know so much now. Like it, and it's not, you don't learn it all at once. You like literally people spend their whole lives and career learning one aspect of the 10 things that you have to do as an entrepreneur. So be a little kind to yourself with that. It will come, but understand that you're always going to be learning. And for some people, that's really exciting. It is for me. Like I'm always going to be learning for the rest of my life. <laughs> that's great. I remember being a banker too. And like when I started to figure out the financial statements thinking, oh my gosh, I understand now what that person was talking about. And you do, you feel so great. Yeah. So as your confidence grows, people are also looking to you as a role model. And like, let's talk about what it means to be a role model and how important it is. I mean, you've been featured in various media. Uh, is, does the pressure get to you for being a role model? What, what, what responsibility do you feel that that do you carry now from, from being a role model? My idea of a role model, I think is kind of different now. Um, Cause you know, when I look back at like being a role model, it's like, you have to be like, you have to be perfect and you have to do all these, you know, incredible things. And you have to be up on this sort of pedestal, which is ridiculous because to me, I think being a role model is being vulnerable and to let people in to see all of what the real reality is. Like you don't, you, you want, them to you want them to feel like oh it's okay um to make mistakes it's okay you know because she fails all the time she flubs she you know she makes big mistakes and all that sort of stuff and that's what i feel is what it means to be a role model is is to allow yourself to be vulnerable to people and just always always trying to do better. Oh, we often put so much pressure on ourselves to, to show up with perfection. And I think what you just said, there is just a perfect way to close. And I want to thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your vulnerability, for being authentic, for um, just talking about a subject that sometimes feels taboo for women to talk about. And we wish you continued success. I'm going to go out closing on my other notes, but Patrice, is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners before we sign off today? I know uh, Shannon provided you with a discount code, which I'm sure you're going to talk about. You know, you're not alone in this. You just got to reach out and find and find your find your people, and they exist. Well, thank you for being one of our people on the Finance Cafe, and I know you've got to go take your cat to the dentist. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you, Patrice, to continue. Here's to your continued success, and thank you for all that you do. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Finance Cafe podcast. Want to dig deeper? As a valued listener, we'd love to offer you an exclusive discount to our financial literacy program. Use the code PODCAST10 to get 10% off. Visit thefinancecafe.ca to join or to take our free financial literacy quiz. We would be so grateful if you could show some love for your favorite financial podcast. Just like, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening from and help other listeners like you connect with us. See you again next week on the Finance Cafe podcast.